I challenge teams to do is to look at the outcomes that they're measuring over a year, over a quarter, however long, and ask yourself this question. If that number comes in lower or higher than I wanted it to, what will I wish I'd done differently along the way? Welcome to In the Thick of It Toolbox, the special series where inspiration meets implementation. Here, we don't just share success stories, we equip you with proven tools and strategies from seasoned founders, turning entrepreneurial dreams into actionable plans. Prepare to be enabled and empowered on your journey. You're not just listening to a podcast, you're gaining access to an essential toolbox for your business success. Let's dive in. I'm thrilled to have Kurt Swindoll on the show to unpack the Entrepreneurial Operating System, or EOS. As an EOS expert and implementer, Kurt has guided dozens of leadership teams in implementing this comprehensive system of tools and disciplines designed to help businesses gain traction, including my own. Over the past two years, we partnered with Kurt to roll out EOS. It has structured how our leadership team clarifies vision, solves problems, and achieves alignment. I've seen firsthand the tangible growth and team health benefits EOS delivers when fully embraced. In our discussion, Kurt explains the EOS system and framework, including roles like visionary and integrator, leadership team meeting rhythms, and what it means to get 100% of the people in the right seats. We also swap stories of the impact of EOS, like how it enabled me to take a month-long sabbatical, confident that the business would thrive without me there day to day. If you lead a small to mid-sized business and have struggled to gain traction on your big vision, this episode is for you. Let's jump in. Welcome back to another episode of the In the Thick of It Toolbox Edition. I am thrilled today to have Kurt Swindoll with me here in the studio. Kurt, thanks so much for making the drive over. Yeah, pleasure to be here. A little background. I've said this before, and I will continue saying this. All of our guests are special. Some of them are special in different ways. And Kurt is special in that we, at my firm, we've been working with Kurt for the last, I guess, two years now, rolling out something that we'll talk more about here in a minute called EOS. We'll expand on that. The desire and the idea behind this special toolbox edition is to help further equip founders with tools that they can use to carry their organizations further beyond just kind of the inspirational stories that we share with other founders. And I know how much I have benefited from EOS Mm -hmm. and working with you. And I know how much our team and our organization as a whole has benefited from EOS. And so I'm really excited to share this idea, this concept with our audience. So again, thank you, Kurt, for coming. Yeah, my privilege. I hope I'm just not special. Like, you know, all my kids are special, but you know. (laughs) I don't even know how to respond to that. I don't know. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. You love me like, uh, I don't know. You know, funny enough, (laughs) in the last week, my older two, we've got three kids. My older two made a comment that led me to believe that they think that my wife and I love our youngest son the most. So I don't know. Now, see, isn't that interesting? I don't know where that came from. Yeah. So it's not true, guys. Yeah. All right. Well, Kurt. Let's just start with kind of some background. So prior to doing what you're doing now, what kinds of things have you done throughout your career? Yeah, a lot of different things. I think I'm by nature really curious. You know, I grew up reading Curious George, right? So it's like that resonated with me, the idea of this monkey that gets into all kinds of trouble because he just he's trying to satisfy his curiosity. 
So I've been in um, multiple C-level roles through my career. I pursued a MBA mid-career. For me, it was just learning to really master the art of leadership and management, understanding the way businesses work and what makes them successful and those kinds of things. So I've done a lot of different things. I've been in multiple different industries. And for me, every change was another opportunity to grow and develop as a leader and a manager and a human being. So what was kind of the highlight of your career prior to doing what you're doing now? Yeah, I love it. You asked that question. We didn't even prompt this, right? But if I thought about one story I wanted to tell here, it was this, that in 40 years of my work as an executive and in my career spanning all these different industries and all of that, I've had exactly one experience, one, where I was surrounded by people who not just loved each other, but excelled in their roles. You know, as we say in our operating system, we had 100% of the right people in the right seats and they excelled and man, we got stuff done and we just had a blast doing it. And that was just a career highlight. And I've had people that were sitting around the table with me back in those days come to me 20 years later and say, boy, you know, we really had something special then, didn't we? Which is obviously code for, yeah, I haven't really experienced that again either. That's how rare it is. It's amazing when you get to operate in your sweet spot alongside other people that are operating in their sweet spot. I'm telling you, there is nothing like it. And when everyone is operating in their sweet spot and everyone loves each other, cares for each other, has each other's back, works hard, puts in the effort, focuses on what they should be doing. I don't think there's anything like it. I was talking with a, a leadership team the other day, 30 mid-managers in the room, and I started to break down telling that story. I mean, that told me how deeply meaningful that experience was and how much I desire other people to have it. What led you into what it is you're doing today? Yeah, I had been consulting for the better part of 20 years. As I said before, kind of mid-career MBA, I taught at the master's level at a university. I was really a student of business. And I think the focus for so many years has been on tools and disciplines. Hey, you can use this tool, the balance scorecard, but here's a great tool for you. The annual review process or, or you know, quarterly meetings and conversations and interactions with people and tool after tool, strategic planning, tools and processes and all that. But all of this is kind of individual pieces. And when I was on the board of a company that was implementing EOS, I looked at this thing and I said, where has this been my whole life? Because all of a sudden it elevated the conversation from individual tools and disciplines to a framework of a complete system of tools and disciplines. And I, and I, like, I was hooked immediately. Having benefited from this, I can totally relate to that. Yep. And we'll unpack EOS more here in just a minute. But first, 
Something you said jumped out at me. You talked about you did your MBA mid-career. Yep. Most of the people I know that you know, that have gone through that, they got their undergrad, they went and worked for a little while, and most of them did it in their you know mid to late 20s. What caused you mid-career, as you say, to go, you know what, I need to go back to school and do this? Yeah, I just had an inward urge to feel like I had mastered something. I suppose in some ways, Scott, we're all kind of products of the way we were raised and who our parents were and what their successes and failures were and all of that. And I have a dad who's fairly successful kind of in his own right. And for me, I wanted to have a domain where I could feel like I had achieved some kind of you know, success or mastery. And for me, the experience of going back and studying business after I knew what some of the questions were that I had, that was, you know, and I'm a lifelong learner. So the idea of more education is compelling to me and interesting anyway. So I think that was a lot of it and a supportive wife along the way that helped a lot. Supportive spouse is a theme that has come up in almost all of our uh, episodes, regardless of the type of guest, whether it's been a, a toolbox or a founder. I was in school with a, a guy in my cohort I was in school with, told his wife he was going to do it, said, hey, I'm, I'm going to go do this. And, you know, midway, he realized the limitations of that approach. I tell people all the time you're going to go back and do it. You need to have a conversation with your mate and they've got to be on board. I sat down with my kids before I did it. And I said, listen, this is going to take better part of a couple of years here. And dad's not going to have time on the weekends like I've had in the past. It's going to be a sacrifice that we're all going to wind up making. I think it's going to be helpful for us in the long run. But, you know, I got to know you're on board with this. And so I went in with the support of wife and kids. And I would recommend everybody do it that way. I don't want to turn this into an exhaustive conversation about an MBA, but I do think that this is something that a lot of people in business do think about it at some point. What advice would you give to somebody who may be on the fence about whether or not they should do it? Hmm. Well, I suppose it begins with what are the questions that you have? What are you looking to accomplish? I think I wanted to first have a sense that that I was closer to, you know, mastering or at least more completely understanding the art and science of business and the way companies work and what makes them excel and what are the important factors and those kinds of things. I wanted to be able to understand things outside the industry that I was working in or, or that I had worked in. I probably wanted advancement opportunities and, you know, the chance to grow and expand my career options and those kinds of things. So I think you just got to go into it knowing what you're, you know, ultimately looking for and want to get out of it. I think that's a key part of it. Makes a lot of sense. Yep. All right. On to EOS, OS, operating system. Yeah. Most people, when they hear that, they think about it in the context of a computer. Yep. Talk to me about what that means in the context of a business or a, yep. an organization. Yeah, I get questions all the time. So you help companies implement a computer operating system? No, no, it's not quite that. Yeah. A business operating system 
is a system and a framework of tools and disciplines that help businesses run successfully, efficiently and effectively in doing what they do. Like I said earlier, I think many times the conversation is around a tool. It's an approach. It's a way to engage employees. It's a way to understand finances, uh, to set priorities, to do annual planning. It all kind of, you know, kind of individual pieces to it. And anybody who's read Stephen Covey, Jim Collins, Pat Lencioni, you know, the list goes on and on, Malcolm Gladwell, all of these people, you're going to read those books and you're going to wind up with 10 more things to do. And they're great things to do. And many of those things we do in an operating system, but we do them in a way that captures an approach to using those tools and disciplines effectively. So I think that that's the distinction about an operating system. It's a complete framework of tools and disciplines that help leadership teams clarify their vision, create traction around that vision, and cultivate healthy relationships. At least that's what EOS does. Over the years, I've read a number of books that I would say outline some sort of operating system. I've read Scaling Up by Vern Harnish, which is is great. Yeah. Clockwork by Michael Michalowicz. And then you said the word traction a minute ago, which that's kind of a key part of this. It is. This idea of EOS is really laid out in the book, Traction. The thing that I have liked so much about EOS is just what you said. It's this all encapsulating thing with rhythms and you know each week each quarter each year how these things are supposed to to work together and i personally feel like of all the business operating systems i've had exposure to it is the most cohesive it is the most well laid out and structured and it gives you the whole but it gives you all the little individual building blocks in a very easy to digest manner yeah i think gino wickman nailed it he's the founder of eos Lifelong entrepreneur up in Detroit had folks approaching him saying, hey, help us run our business as successfully as you run your business. And while the tools and disciplines themselves are not anything new, they're things that we've been reading about and understanding for a long time, he figured out a way to kind of get it all done. You know, we were talking a few minutes ago about the MBA. I remember we'd come out of our strategy class and everybody was hyped, right? You know, you know an MBA unless you like strategy and all. And so we were all excited about that. We were going into implementation was the next class we were going into. And I remember our implementation prof said, first day we were meeting, you know, guys, you've come out of strategy. You're pretty excited about all of that. But you know, strategy without implementation is worthless. And he's right. And all of a sudden, like the whole class was like, okay, now I think I understand why I need this class. Right. And so what is it? Gino says, vision without traction is hallucination. And so unfortunately, that's what a lot of companies have, an hallucination that they'll be able to achieve their vision. But when there's no traction and execution in place, those pieces in place, and that's the hard part. The hard part isn't vision. The hard part is getting it done. And in my career, I just saw company after company, organization after organization struggle to move their people forward in this cohesive aligned way. And with the OS, I saw a way to do that. You talk about vision being the easy part. I think that to some degree, every business leader 
has some amount of vision. Some people, it may be bigger than others. Some people, it might be more well thought out than others. But one of the things that I so appreciate about EOS is that it does give you a framework to lay out that vision in an approachable way. Yep. Yeah. I I say that EOS isn't a strategic planning process. It's a strategy execution system, right? So we're familiar with strategic planning and that process of, you know, maybe you go away, maybe you certainly you allocate time in your calendar for the team to sit down and think about where do we want to go? What does the next three years or five years or 10 years look like? And, you know, to execute those kinds of things. But when we get back to the office, we get hit with everything that we've been doing and everything has been taking up all of our time. And so how do you get a toe in the door to being able to do something different? Is it just working harder, right? Is it trying harder? Like, what is it that causes the team to operate any differently going forward than they did in the past? And so this is why we're really stuck doing the same things we've always done. So I I think that that's the key to it. How do we integrate our vision into the fabric of what the organization does day in, day out? When we first started talking, we started this journey with what y'all call the one-hour meeting. I don't think we're going to do a full hour here, but could you take a few minutes and just kind of unpack at a high level what the EOS structure and rhythms are like? Yeah, you bet. So at a high level, EOS is, as I said a minute ago, a complete system of tools and disciplines that help leadership teams do three things. Clarify their vision. Where are we going and how are we going to get there? Uh, To create traction around that vision. So everywhere you look, everybody is rowing in the same direction. We're pursuing the same goal. And then creating healthy relationships through open and honest communication. You know, we can't deal with issues if we don't know what those issues are. If We're just kind of thinking about them, but we're not talking about them. And there's something that is really magical that happens when a team trusts each other to tackle and attack problems and not people, not each other. So as the leadership team comes together around that vision and those traction elements and around their relationships and all of that, then little by little, the tools and disciplines of EOS cascade into the organization and ultimately have an impact on departments and divisions and work groups all the way down to the individual. At a little more granular level, what Gino found is that healthy companies are really healthy when they're strong in six key component areas. Vision, where are we going and how we're going to get there and making sure everybody is on board with that vision. People, what does it mean to have everyone on the team that that really fits the culture. They're the right person for our team and they're in the right seat. They're in the right role. Data, having a handful of measures that give us an absolute pulse on the health of every part of our organization. Give you a quick aside. I worked for Home Savings of America a number of years ago and the CEO of Home Savings had said, Listen, if you'll create a system that gives me these 21 charts and graphs, I'll tell you about the health of our business in every key area. It was a $50 billion company at the time. And that convinced me if the head of a $50 billion company can figure it out with 20 numbers, we ought to be able to figure it out in most cases with five or six or seven, right? 
So data, objective set of measures, an objective set of measures that give us the pulse on the business. With clarity around vision, people, and data, we've got some issues that we need to solve. And so healthy, strong organizations are strong in the issues area when they're calling those issues out and they're solving them as they arise in a way that makes them go away forever. The fifth area is process. Healthy companies are healthy when they've documented the most important things they do so they can make sure those things get done the right way in the same way every time. And then finally, the sixth area is traction. How do we wrestle that vision to the ground and execute on it with focus and accountability and intention and alignment, those kinds of things? So we help through EOS, companies get strong in those six key component areas. And when they're strong in those six areas, boys, there's a whole lot of fun that starts happening. Maybe talking about it, kind of where does it all begin? It does start with that vision and we start with our 10-year vision, right? And then we start working our way backward into smaller chunks. It's the, how do we eat that elephant? It's the one bite at a time. The elephant is that 10-year. And then we go down, walk us through kind of that progression. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is that theoretically, it's about understanding where are we going to be 10 years out? And then how do we walk back from that? How do we deconstruct that until we're figuring out quarter by quarter what we need to be doing? But the implementation process is completely opposite of that. It doesn't start with vision. It starts with a foundational set of tools and disciplines that help us create traction so that when we pour that vision in, there's a place for it to go. There's a way for it to be executed. Otherwise, we'd begun having clarity around our vision, but we'd realize nothing's really changed around here. So the process of implementing EOS is one that starts with, let's get some foundational tools in place. Let's get our meetings better. Let's get more clarity around how we're organized, who's responsible for what, and to whom are they accountable, those kinds of things. Let's start setting up a cadence of setting quarterly priorities that we're really diligently working on addressing. Let's draft a scorecard that's beginning to give us a sense week by week, not just month by month or quarter by quarter, but week by week, how healthy are we? And I think once those traction building tools are in place, now you can go clarify that vision. Where are we going to be 10 years from now, three years from now, one year from now? And you've got a place for that to go to be executed. You said a word that jumped out at me for very personal reasons. So I'm going to tell a quick story. Great. You said meeting. Yeah. I actually was exposed to EOS probably at least two, if not three or more years before we started working together. A man named Randy McDougall, who, Randy, thank you. I cannot thank you enough. Randy's a great guy. Good friend. Great guy. Yep. Randy was in town and he said, Hey, I want to come by and talk to you about this thing that I'm doing. Mm. And he takes me through it. We had that one hour meeting years and years back. And at the time, I didn't think that we were at a place where we could really use it like it should have been. And in, in hindsight, in, in retrospect, yeah, I was going to ask in retrospect, in retrospect, yeah, yeah. had we done it then, mm -hmm. I think about where we might be today. Yeah. Yeah. But Randy walks me through this fast forward. We've grown, we've got, the beginnings of our leadership team and we are trying to meet although i will tell you it was hazard both in the cadence and frequency with which we met and the meetings were an absolute disaster mm. 
And that was 100% on me. Mm. We would start our meetings with a very loose agenda and we would find ourselves all over the place. We'd get to the end of the meeting. We didn't even know what we talked about. We didn't know who was supposed to go do what and by when. And after several months of these kinds of meetings, I had to look at myself in the mirror and go, I don't have the tools to do this well. Mm. And I remembered that meeting with Randy. Yeah. And scheduling wise, his calendar was full where he had gaps. I didn't. And so that actually ended up connecting us. And so the meeting pulse, honestly, if somebody were to say, I'm only going to do one piece of this, the L10 meeting, I think is where this is really at. It's a winner. It's a winner. So yeah, would you take us through the idea, the concept of an L10 meeting? Yeah, you bet. People don't hate meetings. They hate bad meetings. I find people are energized through effective meetings where we're really solving some great issues. You know, in a nutshell, the L10 meeting is um, for a leadership team. It's usually a 90-minute weekly meeting that everybody makes a real commitment to. We talk about the importance of starting, of scheduling at the same day and time every week. And it's a priority. You don't miss more than one or two. You only miss if you're on vacation or if you're dead. That's like what we like to say. That's how important it is. Because everybody's got a priority that will beat having that meeting, you know, in any given week. So we need everybody there, but if they can't all be there, we still meet. The show must go on, right? So same day, same time every week. We always start on time. We need to end on time. And then we want to make sure that we use the same agenda every week. And people can look at that and say, that doesn't make any sense. The issues change and all that. Well, there's flexibility built into the structure of the agenda of the meeting. We always start with what we call a segue where we share a personal and a professional bit of good news. And on that real quick. Yeah. Most people spend more time with their coworkers than they do with their own families. They do. And I think in a lot of organizations, people may not really know their coworkers yeah. all that well. Yeah. They pass each other in the hall. They come in and go in, in the parking lot. But I love starting our weeks off with the segue because it gives you the opportunity to get to know that person across the table a little bit better and know not just what's going on at work, but some idea of what's going on at home. Yeah, there's a real practical reason for it, too. Neuroscience has shown us, I don't want to get all technical, but neuroscience has shown us that when people share joy and celebrate with each other, that it really knits our hearts together. There's some things that happen in the synapses of the brain that just really truly connect us in a very deep way, a meaningful way. And so that that segue, yeah, it's a way to get into the meeting. And certainly it's a way to understand each other in ways beyond just as colleagues, but as human beings, as people. But I think at a, at a real pragmatic level, sharing those highlights from our personal and professional life help us understand and know and really come to love each other more and more. And when I love someone, man, I'm going to give everything I can to make sure they're successful and they'll do that for me too. So it's an important way that we start the meeting, right? Then we move into a series of reviews where we review the scorecard. We review the quarterly priorities that have been set, what EOS calls rocks. We review highlights that have come out of the customers that we work with and the staff that we work with, see if there's anything there that needs to be addressed. And all of these reviews are not intended to highlight issues that we're now going to immediately solve. We're going to 
just put them on our issues list of things that we're going to address a little bit later on. We review some action items from the last week, what we call to-dos in EOS. And then we're going to complete all that review work within about 25 minutes, which gives us a full 60 minutes for doing what I call the most important work that a leadership team does all week. And that's solve problems, work on issues, talk about opportunities, address challenges, give updates, all of those kinds of things. And so we spend the lion's share of our time, what we call IDSing issues, identifying the root cause of the issue, discussing it, and then identifying what action are we going to take that will solve that issue, really make it go away forever. And then with five minutes left, or once we run out of issues, you know, kind of either way, running out of time, running out of issues, it's time to wrap up. And we go through a process of evaluating the meeting, even deciding on a one to 10 scale. How did we do today? How can we get better and better at this? And that's part of what I really love about EOS. It's not just about the execution and the work of the business. It's about learning, about getting better and better all the time, right? Was it Michael Jordan that was talking about, you know, if I can just get 1% better, at, oh, or Tom Brady talked about getting 1% better, right? Every game, every week, if I can just get 1% better and I'm a lot better over time. And I love that idea of using the work of the organization to improve the organization and each person in it. That rating at the end, you said scale of one to 10. So the L10 meeting, level 10 meeting. Exactly. The idea and the goal is that every meeting, everybody should be rated as a 10. Yep. We're trying to get to nines and tens. And when we get an eight, we get a seven, then we should be asking a follow-up question. How do we do better next time? And we're asking that in a way that's not an attacking way. We're asking it in a way that says, let's learn together. You know, we didn't start. We weren't sharp. We weren't all present. Some of us were on technology. Let's put the technology away. Let's really be present with each other, focused on each other. We're just asking you to do this 90 minutes a week. Could we just do that for 90 minutes? Show up for each other each week. Yeah, that's what I love about it. Yep. For people who may be getting into this now or have tried it and maybe stumbled. I want to just give a little personal story here. When we first started this, you sat in on our first L10 and maybe even a couple of them. And when we had to do it on our own for the first time, mm. I remember that first one and probably the first few of them just being kind of clumsy. Yeah. And it took us some repetition to really feel the flow. And now I think everybody on the leadership team would agree, even though we don't have a level 10 every time, we know what the meeting structure is going to be. We know what the flow is going to be. And that clumsiness that I talked about those first few times, while the content may not always be exactly what it needs to be, the clumsiness has gone away and we've gotten much better at how we run them. Running a business is like learning to play a new instrument. It's going to sound pretty bad at the beginning, right? We're learning new ways of doing things. I play the electric bass guitar. And after years of kind of self-teaching myself, I got some lessons. And I remember sitting down the first time and, the, and I remember my bass teacher saying, so Kurt, play the C on the A string. And I'm going like, uh, why are you fretting like that? I have no idea. Why are you holding your hand over there like that? You know, I, I don't know. Okay, we're going to have to do the... John Wooden thing. Gentlemen, this is how you tie your shoes, right? 
And so learning how to run a business in a truly effective, efficient way is going to feel a bit awkward at first. But seriously, in no time, you start understanding that cadence, that structure, the rhythm of it, and it begins to flow. And it's just like, I can't believe we ever operated without this. A couple of things I want to just tack on to that. One, yep. having you, having an implementer sit in on a couple of those L10 meetings to help get you started is invaluable. Mm. Something that we've been incredibly blessed to be able to do is EOS has grown in popularity tremendously. In fact, it's rare that I talk to another business owner these days that isn't at least familiar with it, if not doing it. Yep. And when we first got started, some other people I know were also doing it. And we have actually traded and allowed them to sit in on our meetings just just as a shadow. They're not actively participating. You know, it's kind of a listen only thing. And conversely, we've had some of them that have allowed us to sit in on theirs. That's great. And I think that there's so much value in watching how other people do it. Even though the structure and the framework is there, I don't know, there's just little subtle things that you pick up on by watching somebody else do it. EOS quotes a German philosopher and mathematician who says you can't be a part of a system and understand that system at the same time. And that's it, right? When you're in the middle of it, it's hard to really understand it from the outside. So you're running these meetings, but pre-EOS and they're crummy, but for the life of you, you can't figure out what's wrong. I think I'm doing the right things. I'm, it's certainly my heart, my intention is to be doing the right things, but it's really hard to see it. So I think that's why being a coach and having a coach who's able to stand on the sidelines and see it from a different perspective than the players see it is really valuable to the process. I've talked about this a bunch before, and I will continue beating this drum for as long as we're doing this. Independent of EOS, you need a coach, you need a mentor, and you also need a peer group of other business leaders, owners, executives that you can bounce ideas off of. because. You can get really myopic when all you see is your own stuff and yep. hearing from them what they're going through, giving them some insight into what you're going through and the advice that you get, the ability to bounce things around is so key. So independent of EOS, find your tribe, find your coach, find your mentor. Well, there's nothing like learning you're not alone in this, but this is hard work. This is hard work. It's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing a great job of it, Right. But when businesses fail in the order of what, 50%, you know, and within a few years, I mean, it takes no time at all. You realize that the business of business is not something we were just kind of born to do. It's something that takes a lot of effort and being able to sit with others who are in your same situation is a great way to be reminded that we're not the only ones out there struggling with this to figure it out. Yeah. What you talked about just now about the business of business it got me thinking about the growth of our organization and it started as me doing this thing by myself Yeah, and little by little it grew and grew and grew and you don't know what you don't know. And you also have to be willing to set aside pride and say, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. And so if anybody listening is like, I don't have this all figured out, but I don't want to tell anybody that Yeah, I'm going to tell you, get over yourself. Yeah and pick up traction and start putting these things into place. I think the broader point about that, Scott, is it's just the tremendous value of humility. 
And I think it starts with saying, you know, we've got some things that are kind of screwed up here and we don't have it figured out, but we want to. And if we can begin from that place of humility, like I said before, EOS starts with the leadership team. If the leadership team is not reflecting the humility it wants to see in its staff, it's never going to see it in its staff. And so that first step starts out by, yeah, asking for help and saying, if there's a better way to run this business, why wouldn't we do that, right? Like, what's the benefit of saying, yeah, we learned how to do it all on our own, you know? I think let's take the shortcut and learn from what thousands and thousands of other businesses have have proven that there's a way to do this. And the way you do it isn't what's important. What's important is what it is that we're actually trying to accomplish here in this business. I shared my story about how we decided to go on this EOS journey. You've worked with dozens of, of organizations, helping them get this up and running. What are some of the other, outside of the fact that everybody can benefit from this, Yeah. what are some of those warning signs or what are those things that you hear from people that caused them to call you in the first place. Yeah. So, you know, I start with, are you having fun? I mean, life is just really short. We spend an awful lot of time at this in the workplace, right? Are we having a blast at that? Like, did it used to be fun? It's not fun anymore, you know? Let's get back to having joy in our work. So I think that's a starting point. Right. And then I think there are a lot of other kind of symptomatic areas. We're hitting our head against the ceiling. We were growing for a while, but we just stopped growing. I can't figure out why. What changes do we need to make in order to move forward? Right. I just can't seem to nail our leadership team. I think it's good, but I'm not sure about one or two slots. Or I'm not sure how we should be structured or organized. Those kinds of things. Our meetings are, you know, a joke. We're struggling with accountability. Like we talk about it, you know. And it's not like, I, you know, I think our people are working hard. I don't think it's that. I just don't know that we're really owning the point of accountability. We like to say that we want to create an environment where accountable people thrive. And if we're not thriving and if we don't have accountability, if we're struggling with the humility piece, maybe we're implementing tools like core values, you know, Jim Collins wrote about that in the mid-90s and built to last. It was a great, great idea. What in the world are we supposed to do with those things? Are we creating wall art or are we actually using them and embedding them in a way that makes a difference in the team that we're creating? All of those kinds of things, you know, people issues, issue, issues, inconsistent execution, a struggle with implementing vision. A lot of visionaries have got vision for days. They've got lots and lots of ideas, and maybe even they're drowning in that. Too many ideas. What are the ideas we should be executing on? Which ones really should be put in the parking lot to see whether or not they stay on the test of time and that kind of thing? I mean, those are, those are some of the kinds of issues that we see teams struggling with and wanting to get better at. And some of them, they just want to be as good as they can be. They think they have a mission, a purpose, a cause that's worthy of being great truly great at what they do and they want to excel at it. And EOS is a mechanism for helping them excel. Let's do some EOS vocabulary for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. You used the V word visionary. Yep. Talk us through what that means in the context of EOS. You know, it's probably one of the greatest 
elements of EOS and something I've benefited from. I'm not a visionary, but my wife is a visionary. My wife has all kinds of great ideas. I don't buy that. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, and it's true. I'm an integrator at heart, which is the the complement to the visionary in the EOS world. So first of all, we eschew titles. Let's get rid of CEO, COO, CFO, CAO, CIO, CTO. Let's get rid of all that kind of stuff because they mean different things in different environments. So that's a big part of it. We're not going to get stuck on, is it, you define it as mission or is that values or mission or vision or objectives or, you know, let's get rid of all of that stuff and let's speak clearly and plainly. So there is the role in an organization of a visionary and that visionary loves big relationships, solving big problems. Typically their ear is to the ground. They've got a feel for the market. They know what it needs. They could see around corners. They know where they want to go. They know what, you know, they have a sense of what they need to do to get there. They just have vision. And we find that great visionaries are complemented by someone who works in an integration role, a role of an integrator who helps that vision come to life. So it's the old Disney story that we've all heard, Walt Disney and Roy Disney, and how those two work together, right? It's Steve Jobs and Wozniak. And you see it over and over and over again in business, that companies that really succeed have somebody who reflects that vision, the culture of the organization, that sensibility about that. And they're coupled with somebody whose focus and joy in life is to come alongside them and make things happen. So for 40 years, my wife has said, I got this great idea, but I'm not really sure how we can pull it off. I said, oh, that's the easy part. The idea is the great thing. She thinks the great thing is actually getting it done, Right. And so we complement each other that way. So in a way, our relationship as a couple is much like the relationship of a visionary and integrator in, a, in an organization. The idea here is that the visionary says, we're going to go take that hill. Right. And it's the integrator's job to say, okay, well, it's this far away. So we need this much gas and it's going to take us this long to get there. So we need to make sure we've got rations for, yep. and once we get there, we're going to need, you know, shovels and pickaxes and dynamite. And it's their job to not figure out the what, but figure out the how. Yeah. It's mustering all those resources to get everybody focused on taking that hill. And that's what they love to do. They love that. They love being somebody who comes alongside a visionary and helps to execute that vision. It's the way God made them. It's just kind of what is put in their heart, the way they love to operate. They can't stand the idea of having to be a visionary any more than the visionary can necessarily stand the idea of dealing with all of that detail and internal stuff that's needed in order to make all that work. So that integrator works on the collaboration and the communication, the systems, the process, the people, the finances, all of those elements and resources that are required in order to make that vision a reality. When you have that right visionary integrator pairing, the freedom that that creates is just unbelievable. Yep. The idea that somebody can say, like I said a minute ago, take this hill but be overwhelmed with the logistics of how to do it. You know, they can see it. They yep. can picture themselves standing there, yep. but it can wear on you. Yep. 
My wife is a visionary, as I said a second ago, and she was a visionary in her organization, a nonprofit we started 12, 14 years ago, and she didn't have an integrator. And she was trying to serve in the role of integrator, and it burned her out. She finally threw up her hands a year and a half or more ago, and she said, I, you know, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. So she exited the organization. We found somebody else. And in the meantime, we brought EOS into that organization. We started understanding and implementing it. And when the executive director of that nonprofit resigned unexpectedly this last May, Debbie came along and said, you know, I think if I had an integrator, I might be interested in getting involved again. It was just breathing fresh life in her. And so we didn't make the decision until we identified, is there somebody who would be her integrator? And once we identified that, boom, away they went. And she said to me the other day, I'm really having fun. I'm loving life right now. And I said, what's behind that? Is it like contentment? Like, what is it? And she said, well, I think that's a part of it, but I just love what I'm doing. And I think that that's what I long for all visionaries to ultimately experience and all integrators too, for that matter, right? Is to be able to love what we're doing because we feel like we're able to focus on doing those things that we were put on earth to do. Something you said about your wife stepping away for a while yep, and then more or less being kind of thrust back into it, but now enjoying it. It takes me back to something else that was going on around the time we first started talking with you about helping us roll out EOS. I was traveling and I met up with a guy who runs a firm very similar to ours, roughly the same size, been around roughly the same amount of time. And he told me about a book. In fact, it was Clockwork that I referenced earlier. Mm -hmm. And in this book, Clockwork, he lays out this framework for how to run an organization. And he challenges the owner founder to go put these things in place and you need to take you as the owner founder once you've got these things in place you need to take a full month off of your business well and not take a week here and take a week there and over the course of a year you've taken a month no it's first to 31st and the idea behind it is in a month it's a full financial period yep. and most businesses are going to do everything that a business does you're going to bill for work you're going to collect for work you're going to run payroll you're going to pay vendors you're going to do whatever it is, deliver whatever it is you deliver. And so you've got this full cycle. And the idea is that this month long break is a test to see if you have what he would call a clockwork business. Mm. So we're at this inflection point in our organization and we're going, man, you know, I think we need to do this EOS thing. And at the same time, I get pointed to this book and I thought, wow, we really should do this. And mm. we're, we're implementing this EOS thing. And in January of 2022, I told our leadership team as we were doing our annual planning, hey guys, we're going to spend all of this year and some part of next year creating clarity, accountability, structure, figuring out where I'm a bottleneck. And to test this all, I'm going to take a month off sometime in 2023, which I did this past June. I bring all that up to say, I could not have done that. We could not have done that as an organization were it not for EOS. Mm. But let's talk for a second about what that did for you. 
scary? Initially? Yeah. I bet the idea was back in the beginning of 2022. The idea was terrifying and exciting at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm somebody who struggles with control. If you told people on my team five years ago, hey, someday Scott's going to take a whole month off, they would have just said, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so the idea that, okay, now I'm really, really giving up a lot of control here. Mm. That was really scary. Yeah. And so what was the experience like? Obviously, you did it when you felt the organization was ready for it. Right. You don't just go read the book and go, okay, cool. You know, here we go. In three months, we're going to, yeah, we're going to take off. Right. You've got to take the time to build out the the So you prepared for it. What was that experience actually like? It was life-giving. Yeah. And what started as a, here's how we're going to test what we've built. It didn't start out as, man, I want to take a month off. As we got closer and closer to that last day in the office, the idea of that extended break became more and more appealing with each passing day. Yeah. And when I got a couple of weeks into it, it, it takes me a while to like really mentally unplug. Unplug. Yeah. And so a couple of weeks into it, I was like, wow, this is pretty amazing. And I'm going way deeper on this than I intended to. But one of the things that I had planned to do during my sabbatical was take some time to not work in the business and not check an email. And that's, that's against the rules, but I wanted to take some time to work on the business. And I had this long list of things I was going to do. I had this stack of books that was, you know, taller than I am, that there was no way I was going to get through, but I'd planned to go and take some time each week to really think about the business and look back at some historical reports. And what if we did this? And what if we did that? And I didn't do a minute of any of that that I had planned to do. Mm-hmm. And I felt this weird consternation, this weird guilt. And about a week before I came back to the office, I had this realization. The fact that I didn't do that was not only healthier for me, but for the organization as well. Yep. Because it allowed me to come back with a completely fresh set of eyes yep. that I would not have otherwise had. Yep. It allowed me to separate myself from some of the emotion that's attached to certain things in the organization. Mm -hmm. And it allowed me to be much more objective in how I looked at things. Mm -hmm. It was almost as if I had stepped into somebody else's business and was able to take the advice that I would give to somebody else. I'm not good at taking my own advice. But this created an avenue for me to be able to do that. Yeah, it's really wonderful. I think we think of sabbaticals as kind of the domain of academics or clergy. And um, I highly recommend it. I've had three or four times in my career where I've had two months, three months off, four months in one situation. And on one of those, I went on a retreat of silence and solitude for three weeks, saw a therapist and nobody else five days a week for three weeks in a row. And I just highly recommend those kinds of experiences because we start looking at life differently and we begin to realize how much identity we get from our work. That's a pretty tough place to look for one's identity because then your identity is great when things are going well and it sinks when it's not going well. People are people of worth regardless of whether or not they're running and involved in successful or unsuccessful companies. 
How can we come to that place where we understand our unique worth and identity and value without it being connected to what we do, you know? And I think getting away from what we do becomes a mechanism for being able to, you know, come to grips with where our true identity really lies. As you say that, interestingly enough, one of the books that I did, I started it, I need to go back and finish it, book I started on while I was on the sabbatical was actually on the topic of identity. And I will confess that for really the last nine years, I have really put so much of my identity in being Scott, the business owner. Yeah. And I didn't make the connection until just now. But in the last couple of months, I've had this realization that I'm actually not fixated on that like I once was. Yeah. And it was the sabbatical that did that for me. That's a healthy thing. And there's a life-changing thing right there, you know? Yeah, it's valuable. Good for you. Good for you. All right. Let's get back to some terminology. And there's a little bit of alphabet soup. We've got EOS. Yeah. RPRS. Yeah. Right person, right seat is what it stands for. And it's really how we evaluate whether or not we've got the people on the team that we should have and whether or not they're in the roles they should be in. It's the right people as a factor of evaluating, does every person on our team reflect our core values, each of our core values most of the time? Because that's what we want. We want a culture that's cohesive and a reflection of the values that we kind of hold near and dear. That's what it means to have the right people. They're in the right seat when they understand and are capable in their role, and it's something that they want to do. And this is where another alphabet comes in. So GWC. Yeah, they get it. They were born to do this work. It's in their nature to do it. They want to do this work. And then they have the capacity to do this work. They've been nurtured in how to do this work. Background, education, experience, expertise, those kinds of things. They GWC their job. This is alphabet soup, but it becomes a shorthand way of talking internally and evaluating really quickly, do we have the right people or not? And I could give you story after story just from experience with clients about places and parts and pieces where somebody was in the right seat, they understood their their job, they did their job well, but they were a cancer to the culture. It just was not the right culture for them, wasn't a fit for them. And conversely, where they really fit the culture, this is someone I love to work with. I love working with them, but we just can't find a seat for them. All the seats are filled. And we've got to have both. And so I say that it's possible, U.S. identifies, you'll never experience the kind of life you want to experience in your work until you've got 100% of the right people in the right seats. And the only way I've had teams ask me, is that really possible? I mean, really? 100%. And I said, it is if you really do two things. Every quarter you show up knowing how many of the folks on your team are not the right person or not in the right seat. And then second, you prioritize solving those issues. Really make it a point. Doesn't mean you will solve it that quarter, but you are prioritizing working through RPRS issues until you get to the place where we've got 100% RPRS. Are there any other tools within the EOS toolbox that you want to highlight real quick? Sure. All told, there's probably 30 in them. Not 30 I want to highlight, but 30 of them that help from everything from evaluating the sales organization to 
the scorecard. Well, let's talk about the scorecard for just a second. EOS's twist on the scorecard idea is that we're not just measuring outcomes, monthly outcomes, quarterly outcomes, but we're actually measuring weekly activities. So we're not just looking at lagging indicators, we're looking at leading indicators. Why do we want to do that? You might ask. Well, the early warning sign is like the bumps on the freeway. It gives you a warning before you wind up in the ditch because it's a lot easier just to twist that steering wheel a little bit and get realigned back into the road than it is to get your car when it's all of a sudden in a ditch, right? So I find teams really struggle with identifying what activities should we be monitoring, you know, here at the leadership level. I'll echo that. You bet. It's a tough thing for virtually all of my clients to figure out. I had one of my clients say, it happens to be a nonprofit organization. They said, you know, we measure progress. We measure outcomes in tenths of a percent over decades. You think there's some things that we could actually measure here that are going to make a difference? And so we're working with them to figure some of that out, right? When you see such marginal gains and change over time, what in the world can we be measuring actually on a weekly basis? So a key thing that I challenge teams to do is to look at the outcomes that they're measuring over a year, over a quarter, however long, and ask yourself this question. If that number comes in lower or higher than I wanted it to, what will I wish I'd done differently along the way? There's something that we might be able to measure on a weekly basis. Maybe not every time, but it certainly is an indicator of something to look at. So the scorecard is something we encourage teams to really try to dial in. You know, you said earlier, we started practicing the L10, the weekly meeting, a little bit differently, and we didn't do it real well at the beginning. It feels kludgy and all that. It, you know, it kind of takes time to, to get it into shape. Same thing's true with the scorecard. And in fact, a lot of things in EOS are like that. The key isn't to master it from the beginning. The key is to get started. People say, should we start at the beginning of the year, the middle of the year, the end of the year? It doesn't matter. Just start. If you're waiting for the leadership team to get in place, you're waiting for things to slow down in the schedule, you know, if you're waiting for the magical two or three days to open up, you'll be able to really give yourself holy. It's just not going to happen. EOS works with entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs, almost by definition, are really busy people. It's never going to slow down. How do we get this thing rolling? How do we get it started? And I find with the scorecard, you draft that initial scorecard, and now we're off to the races and we'll tweak it and we'll improve it and iterate on it over time. I wish we had kept track, but I don't know what number, what version number of our scorecard we're on. Yep. And we're still tweaking it and asking ourselves semi-regularly, hey, is that still really important? Is yeah. that still telling us what we think it needs to? It's great. And to your point. You don't have to have it perfect out of the gate. Nope. It's just important that you start somewhere yep. and tweak it as you go. Perfection is just the enemy of greatness, you know, and we want to nail it the first time. And when we don't feel like we can do that, we, well, I'll wait. I'll wait to do this until I feel like I can really get it down. And so we talk over and over again about we're drafting this, but we're going to come back over and over to it. We're going to tweak it. We're going to iterate on it. It's going to get better and better and better. I was working with a team where the CEO said after a year of working together that he finally felt like, here's another alphabet soup, his vision traction organizer, his one-page strategic plan in EOS. 
was really dialed in and he loved it. He was ready to share it with his board. It took a year to get it there. But it, it would have never happened if he hadn't started the process to begin with. We had a project, actually, I guess it's still an ongoing project. And talking with the person heading that up, one of the things I said to them was, V1 is good enough for day one. And I love it. You've got it. You've just got to start somewhere. I love it. I love it. It may not work for software systems. <laughs> Fair. Fair. But it works great for operating systems and management practices and tools and disciplines, right? Let's just start somewhere. Let's start figuring this out and we'll we'll get there. You know, we didn't create these problems overnight. We're not going to fix them overnight. It's going to take time. 1%. Yep. It's going to take, in the long run, you're going to wind up saying it took longer than I wish it had, but it went faster than I thought it would. And I think that that combination is a great combination. You realize a year or two, and this has flown by, we're so much better than I thought. I wish it hadn't taken two years to get to this place, but considering how far we've come, oh my word, we've been able to make huge mileage in such a short period of time. I'm going to get the book wrong. I feel like it was Atomic Habits and it probably is wrong, but a book that I've read sometime in the last year and a half, it talked about this cycling team. I think that it was out of out of the UK. And for a long time, they were dominant. And for decades, they just fell off and couldn't win to save their life. And they decided, no, 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 no. They put the stake in the ground and said, no, we're going to get back to greatness by X date. And they dedicated themselves to their craft. And day by day, week by week, they would dial the knob in one direction or another on some variable, mm -hmm. whether it was the type of clothing that they were using or the kind of tires or the brakes or the diet or the workout program. Yep. And they didn't go from last place to first place yep. overnight. Yep. It was, all right, we're going to test these different variables and see if that moves the needle at all. Yep. And then when we feel like we've got that one dialed in, we're going to go do the next and the next and the next. And so... That's a great metaphor, isn't it? It's just such a great metaphor for business. And there are lots of dials to be turning and twisting and trying different things in different ways, right? Some are going to help. Some are not going to help. But you don't know until you try. You don't. You're going to figure it out over time. It's one of the things I love about it. And every business is different, you know? You mentioned something a minute ago that I think is worth talking about for just a second. My business is a for-profit. You talked about you're working with a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. This is applicable across all kinds of organizations. And if this is too personal, we can cut it. But you and your wife actually have EOS in your household. We do. Yeah. We run our business off of it. And so it's there are EOS implementers that actually use it for their private lives with their husband or wife. And they use it to identify what are the quarterly priorities we want to set, the rocks we want to set as a couple, as a family. So Debbie and I aren't using it quite that way, but since we're running our business with it, it feels really personal. And there are times we branch over into some personal priorities that we want to set that we know will have a, ultimately a business impact. But yeah, EOS says it works in any business that has people. So last time I checked, that's pretty much all of them. And so as a result, we've seen vertical after vertical take advantage of it and benefit from it. 
We did a study recently that showed on average companies employing and implementing EOS well are growing by 34% a year. That's on average. So I feel like I'm the investment guy who has to say, you know, your experience may be different, right? But overall, we see pretty tremendous growth out of organizations that, you know, get all these parts and pieces right. How long would you say it takes for an organization to start seeing value from EOS? We see it pretty quickly in areas like the flow of meetings and the structure of meetings and setting priorities and beginning to really focus on those priorities. Those kinds of pieces begin coming together right away. Within two or three months, they're beginning to see a cadence to this happen. The flywheel, to use Jim Collins' term, is beginning to turn and it's beginning to roll. It doesn't feel normal yet. It doesn't feel natural yet. It still feels forced. Like we've got to focus and concentrate on it more than we would like to. So I would say to get to that place where it becomes just a more and more natural piece is probably about a year to really nail those pieces down. And certainly then, you know, growth is happening through that process and you're beginning to really address issues. And listen, not all of my clients are growing. Some of them are struggling for one reason or another. We'll take our quarterly session and really dive in deeply into that. I've done that recently with a couple of my clients that are saying, you know what? The market has changed. Our situation has changed. Uh, you know, the demand for our services changed, whatever it might be. And so we'll really diagnose what do we need to do to put the full court press on from a marketing and sales standpoint, as an example. And they leave that process feeling like they're energized and focused to make something different happen over the next 90 days. So while the long-term change is certainly something that will take some time to put together, we see some pretty quick and immediate response from folks that are implementing it. Thinking about how people can get started. Yeah. One of the first things I would say is you should read Traction. Or if you want the Cliff Notes version, there's a, a shorter one called What the Heck is EOS? Yeah. If yeah. you want the super short. So that's one way to do it. I think there's even a two-minute video you might be able to find on YouTube or something, right? You so, can find anything yeah, on YouTube. You can. You can. Now, there are different ways to go about rolling out EOS. Some people will choose to read the books and self-implement, but others, and my firm being one of them, Another confession here, I know myself well enough to know that I probably do not have the discipline, especially with all the different things that I've got going on. I didn't have the discipline to be able to really roll this out on my own. And yeah. so we looked to an implementer and gratefully glad we found you. Talk to us about what does it mean to work with an implementer yeah. on setting up EOS. You know, I was talking with a CEO yesterday and they're not running on EOS, but most of the people in his peer group, we talked about peer groups earlier, right, are running on it and lots of other people that he knows. And he goes, I, I think it's time for us to make that jump. And he said, you know, we had to realize we tell our clients all the time, we're the experts here. You ought to hire us to do that work. You could do it yourself. It's something you really want to do. And same thing, I was talking with another client yesterday. It was about employing a marketing partner for them. And, you know, it feels like this is something we really should understand. And I said, is that something you really want to do? 
GWC, right? Get it, want it, have the capacity. For, is that something you really want to do? She sat back and she goes, oh my goodness. I don't know that I really do. All right. Well, maybe you ought to think about hiring an expert to actually run that for you instead of trying to figure out how you become an expert in it yourself. Listen, we're thrilled when any company makes a decision to employ EOS as a, as a part of their operating system and, and making that happen. We're even happier when they choose one operating system and choose to run with it. But in our experience, we figure there are a couple hundred thousand companies that are running on EOS today, many of those self-implementing. Many of those will find that they implement a couple of the parts of EOS where they feel the most pain and they get some benefit from that. But the real benefit from EOS comes in strengthening all six of the key components, vision, people, data, issues, process, and traction, and not just the traction piece and the data piece or the people piece and the issues piece, you know, when all six of them are being worked on together. I was calculating out, I've spent hundreds of hours preparing for the job of facilitating the conversations that teams need to have to implement this. Hundreds of hours. And then on top of that, I've spent hundreds of hours in session rooms with many different kinds of organizations. I think that's the benefit that you get when you hire a professional implementer to help you implement it versus when you're doing it on your own. The tools and resources are out there from EOS to be able to self-implement. I have two clients now that started self-implementing and they got to a point where they realized, you know what, we want something more out of this and I know there's more to get out of it. And so we're now working together to more fully implement EOS. Without getting into numbers for an organization our size, it's not a small investment, Yep, but it's an investment that has been well, well worth it. I don't think that we would be where we are today with EOS had we not brought in an implementer. But there's also one of the things that went through my mind early on as we were considering whether to self-implement or, or bring in somebody was writing that check creates some accountability for what we do with this. Yeah. So as we're wrapping this up, I cannot highly recommend this enough to anybody and really doesn't matter what phase of your growth you're in, where in the organizational life cycle you are, whether you're a few people or you're a few hundred people or a few thousand people, this is something that can benefit anybody. And as, as we've talked about, it can benefit nonprofits, for-profits, everything in between. So Kurt, I just want to thank you for all that you have done for our company and like I said earlier, I don't know what things would look like today were it not for EOS. Well, thanks. Thanks. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun working with you and the team. You know, I'm having more fun than I've ever had in my life. More fun than ever in my career. And it's because I see such a, a tangible change happening with my clients. I see them loving their work more. I see them enjoying what they do more. They're enjoying the team more. And it's, it's very much like I talked about at the beginning of our, our conversation, once in 40 years, once in 40 years. And I think that EOS gives us an opportunity for more and more people to actually experience what it looks like to look around the room and to see people they love and to be doing work that they love and having a lot of fun doing it. Well, cheers to that. Cheers to having fun at work. 
Thanks for joining us. Yeah, you bet. My privilege. That was Kurt Swindoll, Certified EOS Implementer. To learn more about EOS, you can connect with Kurt on LinkedIn or visit eosworldwide.com slash Kurt dash Swindoll. That's S-W-I-N-D-O-L-L. If you or a founder you know would like to be a guest on In the Thick of It, email us at intro at founderstory.us. 